Welcome to Before the Bestseller, where we talk with our favorite authors, entrepreneurs, and oftentimes authorpreneurs about the exact steps and processes they used to build their brand, sell their books, and grow their businesses. I'm excited to have you on board for this episode. My name is Alex Rathi, fellow author and founder of AdvancedAmazonAds.com and PodPR.co. I hope that you're able to take away at least one new bit of knowledge or tactic from this episode that you can use to make a world of difference in your own journey. If you do find one, let me know what it was in a review and anything that we can do to make the show a more enjoyable listening experience. For access to our free Amazon advertising course, visit us at advancedamazonads.com slash before the bestseller. Today's guest needs no introduction, but I'll give you one anyway. Here's the hint. He is Mr. Kindlepreneur, not just by his own naming, but by Amazon, which actually calls him that themselves. While overseas in the military, he started building websites. One of his sites, Kindlepreneur, eventually took off with hundreds of thousands of visitors each month. After hearing about the struggles of authors and reflecting on his own experiences, he then went on to build Publisher Rocket a tool used by almost every self-published author and major publisher out there. In fact, I speak from experience. Publisher Rocket is integral to my own team. Dave and I talk about how he built what he did, his advice for authors in marketing a book in today's world, and even going from solopreneur to leading a whole team. Along the way, we also talk about his latest innovation, Atticus, which is an all-in-one writing and book formatting software. Here's Dave Chesson of Kindlepreneur. Dave, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I always like to kick it off with a childhood story that made you who you are today. Mm, boy. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a, not a specific story, but the fact my dad was in the military, so we moved all over the place. And when you're a child and you move into a new spot and you know you only have two years before you have to move again, uh, you're really quick to just become friends with people. And you're also really understandable about moving on as well. Uh, and so I think that that created my shall we say, lack of fear or hesitation to be online, uh, to meet new people and just kick it off right from the get-go. I was talking with Michael Watkins yesterday of of the first 90 days and he said the exact same thing. It was, he (laughs) moved along as a kid. Uh, And it's weird because I I moved the US when I was was seven years old. So it's definitely a different experience. I I can uh, definitely attest to that. That's awesome though. That that, that reoccurring theme that I'm starting to hear. Um, so let's talk about a year before Kindlepreneur. I think I saw some ninja site. I think I saw lipstick was on the radar. It's like, tell me about a year before Kindlepreneur came into being. Yeah, well, I was stationed. So I joined the military after my dad. Uh, I was stationed in South Korea, Busan, where there is no U.S. presence. Um, well, not then at the point. And my wife and I were talking about what's our end goal. And because I was always traveling and I had to go to this assignment without them, without my kids. And we decided that, well, what is our ultimate goal? What do we want to do? Do we want to do the military? Am I trying to be an admiral? And the answer was no, not really. Uh, So I had to find some kind of exit strategy, if you will. You know, I didn't want to just leave a traveling nine to five job to jump into another traveling nine to five job, especially with my background at that point. So I started to look at what my options were. What can I do on the other side of the world? And since I was going out to sea a lot, it could not be a business structure that needed me to be around. So I couldn't do social media 
or anything around that because the moment you take two months off, you're dead or you can't, you know, you get your advertisements set up and you can't do anything with that. I couldn't do brick and mortar. I couldn't do anything that required support. And so this really limited my options. And that's when I really started to understand and get into not just blogging, but understanding SEO and ranking number one at Google. Now, this was a really long process of lots of failures. And I would say one of the greatest things that defined me as an entrepreneur was that every time most people would look at what I did at this point as failure, and I saw it as each time I failed a little less, I got a little bit better. Um, And so the first time I did this, there was a book that my wife sent me that I think it was literally called like how to make money online. And she's like, here, just read this. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to read it. I'm going to do everything it says, even if it's stupid. And I did. And I only made like, I, and I, by the way, I spent like a month of like every waking hour working on this thing. And I only made like two bucks. But here's the thing. I made two bucks. Like I made two bucks out of thin air. I didn't, you know. Um, and I really, 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 really wish I had somehow like turned those $2 into something and framed it. Cause that'd be like my Scrooge McDuck lucky dime, you know, just yep. that was it. That's I was, I was hooked. So I decided to do it again. Um, and that was the, the free samples for you.com, um, which I don't think it exists anymore, but that was the first site. It was just, Oh, set up the site, lay out some affiliate, you know, people click on it and sign up, you get, you know, paid, blah, blah, blah. Um, so then I did said, well, this time I'm going to do a little bit more on SEO, you know, and something that I enjoy because I did not like the sample thing. So I decided to do the free game ninjas and free game ninjas was where there's a whole bunch of affiliates that you could sign up to play a free game. If you, if you play, if somebody signed up to play, you get like 50 cents or a dollar. I was like, it's a game and it's really cool. Like, you know, Knights of the old Republic, like super cool games, not like, you know, meh games. Um, so I was like, this would be cool. I could do this. So I worked really, really hard again, built a much better website than the last one Had a really cool logo, which I still have to this day. I love that logo. And, um, I started doing some SEO and I found that there was a couple of, if, if there were like three phrases and I don't remember what they were, but if I could just rank for that, that would get me some affiliate sales. And I did, I didn't rank number one, but I kind of got up there and all of a sudden I was, I made like $20 this time, you know? Um, and so I'm looking at that, like, wow, I just 10 X my, my revenue must be like, Oh my goodness. I just wasted another two months, you know, doing this. I got 20 bucks. This stinks, you know, SEO doesn't work or blogging doesn't work. And uh, me, I'm just like, I 10 X what's going to happen next time. Like, let's do it. And so, yeah, that was, that was kind of it in a nutshell. That was my mind frame as I went through it. And sure enough, it was, it was just kind of getting better, um, you know, through just knowledge and the experience. I started to have better intuition. I started to figure out what was working and what wasn't. Um, and yeah, that's what drove me to today. Honestly. Did you write books at the same time that you were starting to work on Kindlepreneur or did you, which one was it like, did one come first? How did that work? No, actually, so when I really started to hit my stride, I had a whole bunch of these niche websites that were bringing in lots of traffic. And it was cool. I was like, yeah, hey. And they were maybe bringing in like, you know, a hundred bucks a month each, you know, through Google AdSense and maybe a little bit of affiliate, but not much. And I was like, well, hmm. All right. So I got all these websites. I got this traffic. I either need to start cranking out like a hundred websites like this in order to make the kind of money I needed to get out of the military and take care of my family. 
And I don't really want to crank out like a hundred websites. It's just not my stick. So I was like, well, maybe I can figure out a way to make more money from the websites I already have. The deeper. Yeah, exactly. So what I did was I started writing books um, that basically covered these websites and, you know, like, and I was like, all right, I'll just throw them on Amazon. And when I did that, I started realizing that, well, you know, I did a much better job in these books than some of these others. Why is Amazon showing that book over mine? So I started studying Amazon like it's SEO because that's what the search engine is, search engine optimization. And so when I started analyzing them, I started realizing and learning a lot about how Amazon ticks, what makes them do what. I didn't find that information anywhere else on, on, you know, on Google or any other blogs or podcasts. And so I was like, huh, maybe I should write about that. And so that's when the idea of Kindlepreneur came to mind. Um, and that was my first, shall we say, foray into a uh, affiliate or excuse me, an authority website. Was your marketing for the books just solely focused on optimizing the listings on Amazon or did you do other marketing for those books as well? Honestly, it was optimizing for lists on Amazon and it was uh, funneling people from the website, you know, to, so people were coming from Google to the website and then going to uh, the book on Amazon. So that was like a one, two punch right there, which was great. But I found that most, almost most of my sales were really coming from Amazon because in truth, when people, when people really want to learn a subject, even though your website may have everything there for like $2.99 or even $9.99, they would much rather pay for something that's really all put together. So they just go from one side to the next instead of click, 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 click. And oh boy, where am I at? You know, um, And so there's real value added. So it what I found in the psychology, especially for business, you know, or learning or nonfiction particular books is when people are really serious about it, you know, a, a piece of information, they would much rather have a book than just crawl through somebody's website and try to figure out where to start and where to end. Um, it's so worth it when you really think about it. The time saved, just picking up a book and reading it cover to cover. Who told you that you should make a, a piece of software? Like uh, where, where did, you know, that's one of the things that really makes you stand out from other bloggers is that you then created a tool for people. Where did that come from? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess it was saying that same mentality of here you have this website, like, what do you do? Um, else, how else can you monetize it? Right. To an extent, I never really thought that I was going to be a software guy. I've never done software. Uh, I don't even, to this day, I don't really know how to code. I, I know a lot about the business of software though. Um, and I think those are two different things. So anybody listening to this, don't be fearful of being like, well, I don't know how to you know, code. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> um, that being said though, was, you know, I was selling this uh, software called Kindle Samurai. Way back in the day, that was really the only, um, shall we say, like uh, keyword uh, software that was out there. Uh, but the problem was, was that it only worked on PC. It did not work on Mac. And the person who designed it, great person, um, very nice guy, but he's, he's just a programmer. He wasn't in the book world and he made lots of programs and he would just make one and move on and so forth. And so this, this program had a lot of problems with it. A lot of things were broken. It was still better than nothing. Um, and so what he did was he just kept lowering the price instead of fixing it, you know, because he's like, you know, if it's, if it's $17, are you going to really complain that half of it's not working? Like, <laughs> you know, and so it was one of those things where I'm like, I know directly from my affiliate, because I was affiliate of him, that I'm yeah. clearly selling this. If only I could make my own yeah. and make it work on both Mac and PC. So then I double the amount of sales I generate alone. 
and fix the problems. And oh, by the way, here's a couple things I would love to do to make it better. Now I just needed to find a programming team. And luckily at the time I was stationed in Sri Lanka. <laughs> uh, literally, the, the military sent me all over the place. You were a digital nomad before it was cool. <laughs> well, well I, you know, I would like to say I was a digital nomad, except I was a military You're nomad. In the military. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... Digital military, how about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was in Sri Lanka. I was able to connect up with some great people there um, and found a phenomenal programmer. And we teamed up, built, you know, what was called KDP Rocket at the time and now called Publisher Rocket. And that really kicked it off. But I'll admit, though, to really quicken it up on this long part, Rocket's been amazing. It has grown incredibly. The problem, though, is I had to learn the business of software, like drink from a fire hose, um, read a whole bunch of books, again, going to books, you know, when you want to learn. Um, studying. Uh, I also learned the power of, of, or the difference between an advanced programmer and an average programmer. I think Bill mm -hmm. Gates said something to the lines of one advanced programmer is worth a hundred average programmers. And he's so right. Mm -hmm. um, it's crazy. I had an advanced programmer put together Rocket. Then all of a sudden he moved on to something else and I lost him and I had two average programmers and they couldn't do anything. And so I realized I needed much more control if I wanted to keep building and improving and growing uh, Publisher Rocket. So I actually bought a one third stake in a software development company. And uh, I'm now CEO of that company. Is that Surge uh, Global or is that? No, that is uh, Paladin Analytics. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you know about cool. Surge. Yeah, it's, it's, I was going to ask about that as well. Yeah. Yeah, Surge is a company started by my buddy, uh, Bonica. And Bonica was one of the guys who connected me with the advanced programmers. And so Bonica and I have done a lot of business together. He's one of the owners as well of Paladin Analytics. Um, and then the third one is Nassau. So. Gotcha. And the marketing, did you just rely then on the, like, is the SEO really the main marketing driver at that point? Or are you doing other things for marketing for the software at this point? Yeah, I think the real success to our software was a couple of things. Number one, we had SEO so that there was initial, you know, we were able to find customers, not a lot of customers, but customers right from the beginning, right? Um, and so that worked out really well. So we had people. And then the fact that we were always improving the software and adding to it, and it was free upgrades for current owners. Uh, we created a lot of goodwill in the community. Support was another reason why we succeeded. We had phenomenal support. That was something big to me. Um, we answer immediately. We have great people that really care. Um, and in my community, they were just shocked because they're just not used to that. Um, and so that sort of thing just created this huge word of mouth. I've never been an advertiser. We've never done Facebook or YouTube or any of those kind of advertisements. Um, hmm. And it's just grown dramatically. And again, I think what it, and one of my rules with software that I tell my software developing team is, is that it's, I call it the number one rule. It's the ABBA rule, which is always be adapting ABBA. Uh, because truth be told is the moment you think you have your program set and you're good and you sit in your laurels, you know, is the moment that, you know, either A, the market starts to lose interest in you or B, somebody else comes, comes by at 60 miles an hour and passes you before you even realize it. Yeah. So we really hit that hard. And uh, I think those things really helped us to grow. Um, and just recently, MarketWatch listed us as one of the top 10 uh, book marketing companies in the world. Whoa, so, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. That was, cool. that was fun.
For the for those of you that don't know, I mean, you can't come into self-publishing without hearing about Publisher Rocket. Like, even if you don't know who Dave Chesson is, like, I mean, I, and I remember specifically coming in this three years ago, and it's like immediately as soon as you come into self-publishing, there is 10 people telling you to get Publisher Rocket, which is why I wanted to ask about the marketing because that's insane. And I, you know, there is so many, like there's at least once a day that I send people to one of your resources, whether it's, you know, how to figure out what ranking, you know, uh, there's the free resource to see how many copies a book is selling, the description generator. And, and that's just incredible. Like uh, there's the free course, I think is what like initially built your subscriber list uh, to like a huge amount. Um, so yeah, for those of you that don't know, I just want to give that background there because you guys do give so much away for free. Um, how do you transition yourself from being the, the side hustler, you know, like, yeah, you've maybe built yourself up to like, you know, hundred K or something, just doing your work. How do you then start to become a business leader as opposed to just being the solopreneur? Oh man, that's a great question. Cause that sucks. <laughs> I'm just going to call it what it is. Um, first and foremost, leaving the military to do this whole online thing or this business thing on your, like, that scared me so bad. I'm not like it, a lot of people look at me, but the, why, why would it, you know, here's the thing. I was, by the time I left the military, I was doing about $10,000 a month. Right. And technically I was making more from my side business than I was a, uh, four in the Navy. Right. But there's just this fear that I had that what if it all just goes away? You know, I'm going to leave the secure job that pays me no matter how good I am or how bad I am. Um, so long as I show up to work and do the, you know, like I get the same paycheck that one day I could wake up and it's all gone. And I was really scared of that. So I want to be open and honest to everybody. That's, that's, it sounds great. But then the moment you start to take that plunge, it's like, it feels like you're about to go skydiving, you know? As if, if anybody's ever gone skydiving, the first thing you get in the plane and there's an open door and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? That is so, and then finally they lean you over the door and there's like nothing below you. You're like, ah, but then once you jump, it's like, oh man, yeah, this is great. Uh, that That's pretty much what it felt like. Um, you know, just jumping from a solid, stable nine to five job into what we do today. And I would say that even then it was really riding a roller coaster. Uh, there's days highs and there's lows. Um, so I think that that's, that's one really critical step for people. And then to get specifically to your question about, um, going from solopreneur to running a team that took years. Um, you know, we, it's honestly a giant skill set and a lot of experience and probably bad experiences in order to finally get there, you know? You get in this belief of like, nobody can do it better than me. And then you got to fight that. And then you got to, you know, learn about hiring the right people, setting the right guy. Like, I mean, there's a lot to it. Um, what I would tell people is really look at what your long-term goals are, because you know what? It's okay to just be a solopreneur too. I mean, that will limit your ceiling, but if that ceiling is good enough, you don't have to, all right? But if you've decided that you have to, or it is a part of you and your family's goals to, to take that to the next level and expand and you really enjoy this, you're not driving yourself into an early grave, then you need to be committed to it and you need to understand you're going to have a lot of lumps. You're going to make mistakes. It's going to hurt. You're going to probably work harder than if you just did it yourself, but so be it when the time comes 
it's worth it. You're going to see, you're going to see the major benefits. And I'll tell you to this day, I'm still learning and I feel like I'm going to be learning more and more as this business puts me out of my comfort zone more and more. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you certainly continuously disrupt yourself, which we'll get into. Uh, it's like well, your know, quick favorite reads. And I wasn't planning on asking this, but I see on Facebook, you always put out like your, your reads of the month. Like what, what are some books that sped up that process for you as you made the jump from solopreneur? Like what are some favorites? Wow. Well, um, there are so many books that have done so many things for me, uh, specifically about moving from solopreneur to, uh, leadership, I guess, business leadership. I'm going to say the one thing was pretty good. Uh, it helped me to realize that I was, that I was trying to do too many things. And by doing too many things, I wasn't really getting anything done right. I feel like that was a good wake up call. Uh, the big leap was also a good book for realizing that sometimes you just hit your plateau and you got to figure out how to make that next step up. Um, with regards to hiring the, uh, I just finished the book. Boy, why am I blanking out on his name? Um, I've actually read it three times and I use it to help build my scorecards. Okay. Oh, I'm blanking on the name. I apologize. No, that, no worries. I'll, I'll follow up in an email to get that one from you. Cause I'm curious. Um, sounds good. All right. So uh, I appreciate you jumping in there. getting a little more specific. I'm, I'm an avid reader myself. So I, I always love the book recommendations. I know a lot of, a lot of our listeners are book lovers themselves. Um, all right. Let's talk about uh, how can you ensure for constant disruption? Like I know publisher rocket, I get emails pretty frequently about a new feature that's being rolled out at this point. Like who's, are you, I'm sure you're not maybe, or maybe you are still in, involved with the product roadmap for publisher rocket, but like, how do you continuously, one, ensure disruption, and then two, you know, what's next for Publisher Rocket? Yeah. Um, and by the way, the book is Who by Jeff Smart. That's it. Awesome. Uh, Thanks. That was going to bother me if I couldn't think about it. So one of the things that's really important is as you get into this, you got to find out what it is you really like doing and find out what it is you really don't like doing. Uh, you also have to understand what you're good at and what you're not good at. Uh, when you understand that, that also really helps you to hire the right people, too. I actually enjoy the designing and the building of software. Like, I mean, I really enjoy that. Um, I've had so much fun building the latest project, Atticus. Um, just because I also, by the way, I love to hide like little Easter eggs all over my software. Like Tesla, like Elon Musk with his, uh, with the Easter eggs of Tesla, like a recording studio inside of it. Yep. Um, you know, and there's a couple of Easter eggs in Rocket that nobody's ever mentioned they found. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if they found it, they would definitely mention it because it's it's fun. But, Anyone you want to give away here? Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm, right. like, I'm like Halliday over here, you know? <laughs> like, you got you to find my Easter eggs. Um, uh, but, you know, it's just, there's a lot of creativity to it. Um, I'm also more of an operator. So I really enjoy uh, kind of the structure of it, the planning, the design, the coming up with things. So that's not something I've really let go. Although I have trained product managers under me um, that help to really move the things, but I like to kind of be the visionary when I step into those. So I am still a major part of Rocket and Atticus and every step that we make in those. With Atticus, or excuse me, with Rocket, honestly, as an author myself, I'm constantly thinking, how can we do this better? You know, like way back when there, there was no where that I know of 
that ever listed all of Amazon's categories. And a lot of authors will say, well, what do you talk about? When you go to upload your book on Amazon, the categories are right there. Nope, those are buy sacks. And there's only like 4,700 of those. There's 11,000 Amazon categories and Amazon just has you select the buy sack and then they'll put you in something. Well, when Amazon made it that you can request to be put in any of their 11,000, I was like, wow, nobody's got it. Like Amazon won't give it to us. So, all right, team, guess what we're doing, you know? Get to work. Let's build this database. Let's go ahead and set up these systems because, man, I would love to be able to open up a software and be able to, and hey, how do we make this easier to find those categories? All right, let's do this. Let's brainstorm. You know, and as you can tell, I'm like jazz just talking about it. Um, But that's what I love. I love that. I love the fact that you can, if you can dream it, you can think through it. You got a team that can build it and it's a reality. And that's just, yeah, that's, that's my fave. Uh, That's my coffee in the cup right there. So we started building that. And again, that's kind of one of those things Uh, right now, some of the things, so we just went back to our keyword feature. One of the first features we ever created and was like, here's all the things we can do better. Um, We are coming out with audible uh, information in a week, Uh, two weeks. Two weeks. We have it. Uh, We've just been testing it with a whole bunch of publishing companies and uh, users uh, to verify that everything is good and set and that we don't, you know, find any weird bugs or whatever. So that's that we've been working on for a long time. And the other thing that we've been working on for almost a year is historical category data. So we have all those categories. What if you could click, look and see the trend in that category, in that market? how much money it's making, how many new books have been added, you know, what is its trajectory? Hey, over the year, you know, is there, oh, look, this dip. Maybe that's not the time to release my book, or maybe that is. Um, and that, yeah. yeah, so that really turn, has turned us into a server-based system where we are collecting lots of data on Amazon. And so I think in the future, I'm going to be investing heavily in data analysts to kind of step in and find better ways we can use this data to help to translate it into something useful for authors. Because that's the other thing too. When you've got terabytes of, of data from Amazon, that's not helpful. Like that doesn't help anybody. So how do you distill it? How do you turn it into something that, you know, that is useful? And on top of that, not make the software complicated or scary because, you know, you have to understand a lot of authors are not you know, tech geniuses per se. It's not their forte. It's not what they want to do. So how do we make right. it feel clean and usable right from the get-go? That's the yeah. cool part about software is figuring that little guy out. So well, I can't wait to learn from all the data analysts you hire because I saw the, like a lot of the recent articles you put out, including the one about the 30-day book sales. Um, oh, yeah, yeah they, they've been awesome to read. All right, let's get on to Atticus. What is Atticus? How did you get the idea for Atticus? And how did you decide you had the time to pursue it? <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, so when it comes to formatting a book, uh, in truth, there really is only one software out there that that authors can use to design beautiful books efficiently and effectively, uh, and that was Vellum. The problem with Vellum, though, was that it only works on Mac. And so constantly people were like, you know, PC users were like, I had to buy a Mac in order to use, that's how good the program is. Authors wow. will buy a Macintosh computer just yeah. to use one software, which by the way is $250. So people are dropping like a thousand plus dollars just to be able to use it. Or they're doing the Mac in cloud, which is, you know, problematic, slow and, and right. yeah. yeah buggy. And they just, 
So I was like, why can't somebody make something that works for both? You know, and so that was kind of where we got started was, hey, you know what? I've got, you know, that was a big part about buying the software development company so that I could get access to a whole bunch of advanced programmers. Because let me tell you, that thing is a beast. Uh, it's really hard to, to, to develop. And I thank God it was not my first program. <laughs> um, and so there was that. But here's the other thing, though. My true desire stems from the pain that I've had as a writer. So when I go to write my books, I use a plotting software. To, or, well, I don't plot. What I do is I kind of lay out an organ. I have my own thing, but I lay it out. Then I sit down and I organize all my chapters out, you know, and so I use it on. Now I use Scrivener and I'm laying everything in, putting in the information. Then when I'm done, I'm exporting it to Word because my editor doesn't want to, you know, work on Google Docs. That would be much better if she did because then we could be instantaneous. Nope, Word. So I have to email back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with all the copies. By the time I'm done, I got seven or eight final copies on my desktop. They all say final, 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 all caps, final. Yeah, (laughs) this is it, stupid. Like, I mean, seriously, like I go and then by the, so it comes time. Now I have to go use a formatting software in order to format it. And then I export. Now I've got even more copies. So by the time, now, if I'm really good on this, which I never do, even though, it's such a pain point. I will figure out what the copy on Word is. I'll have my EPUB, Mobi, PDF, uh, and I will then put it in a special file that says this is what was published or something. Because what's killed me in the past is I don't do that. I just grab them all and throw them in a file and move on. And then three years later, when I got to update the back matter or something like that, I'm like, oh, <laughs> no. So uh, why can't there just be one software that does it all? Why can't I write, organize, write, collaborate, and then format all in one? And that is exactly what we've designed Atticus to be. Uh, we, uh, we started the development of the program. We started with just formatting and a bit of writing, but we designed the entire thing with all of those things kind of under the hood already. And so we just launched the other day. Um, it really is a good you know, comparison with, with Vellum. Um, but I would say probably in the next couple of weeks at the rate that we're adding more features, I think we'll really pass by there. We also have a whole bunch of writing features that will really start to kind of turn it into a combination of Scrivener and Vellum. Bam, write a one. Exactly. Yeah. And then we're going to be adding the collaboration where you can send a link to your editor who can edit. And by the way, we're designed to look just like Word for the editors because <laughs> you don't want to think about all those new trucks. Right. Yep. And then you can see it real time without ever having to leave and accept the changes that they make. And it applies to your book. And when you're ready, hit the format button and format it. And now you have everything all in one spot. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Sounds like a super useful tool. And there's clearly no passion behind it whatsoever <laughs> uh, for anyone that was listening. Um, how are you marketing it differently, right? Like you learned a lot from the first software publisher rocket. So going in, like, what do you, what did you look at and say, okay, we could probably market this better, you know, doing this. Cause you know, people who are listening, they're all about creative ideas and marketing, right? They're trying to do their books or their businesses. So what do you have mm-hmm. there that you're doing differently? Uh, so actually it's not like I, it's not like there was a mistake I made or a different trajectory I wanted to go with on this. Uh, what I did was I recognized immediately the importance of support. And I mm. found some of the nicest, coolest, 
people who absolutely love this kind of thing. Um, and that, like, I'm telling you, if you go to like any Facebook group right now and writing, uh, every other, like, it's been a lot of awesome positives, but literally every other positive is some mention about how great the support is. There's always going to be a problem. There's always going to be some complication, but if you, I always see support as like a window to the heart of a company, you know, and people know that they're going to run into something. It just happens. That's, that's, you know, there's always some free radical out there, but when you're right there immediately and you go all the way as far as you can to help them, they remember that. And that speaks volumes about who you are. So we invested heavily into our support team. Um, granted, Kindlepreneur is way larger than it was when I launched KDP Rocket. So that helps. Um, the other thing that really helps too is, is that I have a software under my belt. A lot of people believe we will do what we say we will because, well, a couple things. Number one, they saw how much Rocket has improved over the years. I really do do that. Uh, and two, there's a face to the company uh, that's in the author community and is, like you said, constantly being giving great information, free tools. I would lose so much if I don't deliver on what I say, right? Like, or I just create it and I disappear. Like people know that there's a less chance of me just taking the money and running or just closing down the business or whatever because of that right there. So these things I think play into an advantage for us because we've had that. But I would say if you're starting out, hit your support and really, really do a good job with that. That kind of word of mouth will, will be huge. And when you do do advertisements or Facebook or whatever, um, people will comment about how great your support is, or, you know, I ran into this problem, but you know, those kind of statements are the best. Yeah. People really care about the people aspect of it. Let's move on. Uh, just talk about last really major topic here is selling nonfiction books. I know you worked with Pat Flynn on Will It Fly. I know you've worked with a lot of publishers. One, I'd like to start off just talking about a few uh, few ways that you think the best way you can kind of market a nonfiction book right now on Amazon and then go on to talk about like, you know, I'm sure you get a lot of insights from the amount of conversations you have, just the future of publishing. Um, but for now, we'll stick with, um, and it's a little bit of a bigger, like just nonfiction authors. That is mainly who our listeners are, the nonfiction authors who want to maybe build a business with their book. What advice do you have for them when publishing their book on Amazon and just marketing their book overall? Well, before you go to publish your book, I highly recommend that you use a program like Publisher Rocket uh, to build an expectation of what kind of market exists for the book you're about to write. Okay. Uh, this is really important because... If you do, like, I'm not saying that you can't write the book that you want to write, right? But if you do your research and you find out there's no one on Amazon searching for your kind of book, then what that helps you understand is that if you write the book, you cannot depend on Amazon to help you. They don't have the people there. They're not actively searching. And that's one of the biggest features of Rocket is it will tell you how many people are searching for that kind of book and how much money those books are making. Um, now, you, so you can still do it, but you have to change the way you market that book. You got to go find people and bring them to it, okay? And that's a whole different set of marketing tools right there. Um, if you do find that those people are there and that it's significant enough, then absolutely nailing your keywords, making sure your book description, your book cover uh, are stellar so that when the market that exists on Amazon sees your book, they click it, they choose it, they buy it. And then it sends a direct signal to Amazon that, oh, this clearly is the best book for this search term. Let's show it more often. 
And so that's really uh, key to it as well. If, for example, though, you're like, oh man, yeah, there are a lot of people searching for this, but boy, the competition is pretty stiff. Then I say, try to find a way to branch off, niche down from it. Um, I like to say, think about demographics at that point. So an example way back in the day, there was this program called Evernote that had a lot, like, I mean, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago where it was like a big thing. Everybody was using Evernote. And so therefore they were reading books on Evernote and there were almost 200 books that were published in that year on Evernote because everybody knew that it was hot. However, though, like at that time I was like looking at, it, I was doing my research and I was like, well, hmm, I could either write the 211th book on Evernote and hopefully outmarket the 210 other books and hopefully write a better book than the 210 books on that subject. No. Uh, or maybe I could do a little bit more research and find out if there is a demographic that's searching for it. So for example, search terms like Evernote for lawyers, Evernote for students, Evernote for teachers, Evernote for project managers. And by the way, there were people writing or searching for those things. Now, if I rank number one for Evernote or how to use Evernote, I'll probably make a lot more money than if I rank number one for, you know, Evernote for students. However, though, I don't have to compete with all the 210 books and try to rank number one. I have a much higher chance of success and making money and continuous money if I just take that idea and specifically call out an existing market that, that is actively looking for books on that subject. So I think that's a really... Um, those three things are really important for nonfiction authors, especially those with a business that are thinking about writing a book. Niching down. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what does the future of publishing look like? I know, like uh, I was talking with Brian Meeks, he's big into like NFTs and the future of books are going to be NFTs and the ability to still own some of the resale value of your books. So like clearly, I mean, no one would have guessed Amazon would be the world's biggest bookstore 10, 20 years ago. I don't know that anyone is more well-positioned in the way that you see publishing and, and the amount of different stakeholders you meet within the industry, what do you think publishing is going to look like in 10 years? Well, and so there will always be publishing companies no matter what. Yeah. Um, the, what I'm starting, one thing that I am seeing shift in the market itself is that when self-publishing first occurred, a lot of publishing companies look down upon um, on on self-published authors. Like, you know, the publishing companies are like, huh, not good enough to be an R, you know, to make R, so they just do their own. And, and they honestly, like, really disregarded us and they thought low of us. I see the publishing companies are starting to be like, holy crikey, how much money are these guys making? Huh. And then even more so is they're starting to say, wait a second. Why take a chance on some no-name author that just submitted their manuscript to us when we can go to the list of authors that have proven track records, that have books that clearly are good because they got good reviews, that they are they understand marketing because, let's face it, when you sign a publishing deal, the first thing they're going to say is, great, you need to help market. You know, So authors are always shocked when they're like, oh, I thought you guys did it. Well, yeah, we do, but you too. Um, but hey, they already have this. And so now publishing companies are looking at self-published authors as free agents, you know, like in wow. sports. And yeah. so they're starting to really go after them. They're really trying to find that mark where they're not too big, but they're not too small. 
right in the middle. Because when you get the two big ones, they're like, why would I give you 70%? I get all of that, you know, like, and yeah. so then they have a harder time. That's a huge shift in the mentality in, in the area. And I'm telling authors more and more, it's better to start off, self-publish, build up your capability. And then you will find that your conversations with publishing companies get so much easier. Your negotiations get better too. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for finding those insights. Where can people get more of you? And uh, yeah, if people want to learn from you or get more of your content, where can they go? Oh, you can go to kindleprinter.com. I've got a contact me page there. Uh, hit me up with any questions in case something popped up in your mind where you were listening to this. You know, he loves support. So you can be sure he's going to reply to you there. And then this is just the final question I got to ask is how did you get Amazon to link to Kindlepreneur? Because I can't imagine a better backlink. Well, you know, um, it's, it's actually kind of funny. I, a lot of this is uh, my belief of what happened just because of the timeline. I wrote an article on how to choose your keywords for your book, okay? And I specifically broke out steps for fiction and steps for nonfiction. After I published that article, uh, Amazon KDP uh, not only linked to it, but they also promoted it on their social media saying, learn from day, you know, from the Kindlepreneur, which I was like, oh, I'm the Kindle. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs> you know, like they said it. They said that, it. I didn't right? say it. They, they said it. They said it. You know, I was like, all right, the Kindlepreneur on how to optimize your books for more sales. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> um, I remember kind of doing a happy dance when I, when somebody sent that to me. I was like, oh my goodness. Um, and then afterwards, uh, I noticed like literally five, 10 days later, Amazon changed their FAQ section on keywords, reflecting exactly what I put in my article. So it was kind of, so it was kind of this one, two punch of like, so they acknowledged it, they promoted it. And then all of a sudden they changed their information to reflect what I put in there. So was, to me, that was like the coolest thing ever. Now, is it a coincidence? I think it's a tiny chance it was a coincidence considering it was almost verbatim and it happened right after they promoted it. So that's what I mean by, I could be wrong, but I feel like I have a very high chance of saying they changed their FAQ after I wrote that article. So I couldn't think of a, a better validating experience. Like that is just, that's awesome. Dave, this yeah, is I'm not going to lie. Helpful. Happy dance on that one. <laughs> I, I would too, man. That's, that's incredible. I, I, the value of that backlink uh, as, as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on here. So much actionable stuff, uh, especially for business owners uh, who are trying to write a book. Thank you so much for the time, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen in. I know this is just one of the hundred ways you could have spent this time. If it met the goal from the beginning of the episode or didn't, please leave me a review so I can continue to improve the show. Reviews also help us to bring on bigger and bigger authors and entrepreneurs with even better book marketing blueprints to share with us. That's all I have. Until next time.